1: Welcome to a special bonus podcast brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. We would like to share with you a heartwarming reflection on how we can develop a practice of love that starts with ourselves and extends into the world. Don't worry, you will be getting a new episode of the Pilgrim Heart Podcast at the usual time. In the meantime, we invite you to join Duke University's Director of Islamic Studies, Dr. Omid Safi, for this look at what the wisdom of the Sufi mystics can teach us about the practice of love. You can search for the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi in your podcast player and subscribe to receive new talks from Omid that offer wisdom for those who are pursuing the path of the heart. Don't forget that these podcasts are brought to you by the Be Here Now Network, which is only made possible through your continued support. Visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash donate to find out how you can support these podcasts along with all of the retreats, live events, and daily content made available by the Be Here Now Network.
2: Hello. My name is Omid Safi, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Sufi Heart Podcast. It is my pleasure to get to have these beautiful conversations with you. And today, I'd like for us to have an opportunity to talk about something lovely and beautiful, which is, how do we make love into a practice there is so much that is written about love, and I, as we have talked about it before in this podcast, all too often we tend to speak about love as if it is somehow a feeling, an emotion, something that we experience. The mystics that we are spending our time with Uh, speak about love to begin with as a verb. You do love. You burn in love. You share love. We are cooked in love. We are transformed in love. And I think what is ultimately even more important is that for them and for us, this radical love is not a feeling, is not an emotion. It is not something that you feel today and maybe don't feel tomorrow. Love, as we've talked about it, is the very unleashing of God onto this realm. It is love that brings us here. It is love that sustains us and nourishes us here. And if we can merge with this cosmic current of love, the same river, the same unfoldment of God will carry us back home. So, how do we live in this love? How do we practice this love? Today, we're going to talk about a very simple practice that anybody can put into use. It is the idea of experiencing love as a series of circles that are unleashed. It is to participate in circles of love, circles of compassion, circles of unfoldment. And by the word practice... I mean something akin to what some of the great philosophers and sages and mystics, lovers and dreamers have meant over time. Aristotle, for example, oftentimes talked about virtue virtue, as something that has to become a habit for us. It is not simply that one is virtuous or not virtuous, it is that we practice virtue until it has become a habit. Virtue is something that we have to cultivate in our being. Virtue is something that we have to welcome and we hone it, we fine tune it until it really becomes second nature to us. And for us, it is the same way with love. We're trying to get away from love as somehow this feeling and to approach love as a practice. This is something that we work on, and real love takes work. This is probably one of the more important areas of emphasis that I think it's important to have in order to have a robust sense of love, in order to have a sense of real love. So often when people talk about love, it is in the context of, if you would, self-help. There's even self-help sections in many of our bookstores. Um, Some people could sign up for a self-help workshop. And if you think about it, a self-help is how you can help yourself. But the kind of radical love, this eshq, that mystics and lovers like Rumi are talking about is actually something altogether different. Here the issue is not so much... To help the self, it is to remind you of who and what you are, who and what you have been all along. It is not to help the self, it is to alchemically transform the self. It is to remind the self that we are of a divine Origin that yourself is luminous, but perhaps not in its current condition. There is the need for transformation, there is the need for transcendence, there's the need to be pulled up towards our origin. And here I think is one of the fundamental tests that I oftentimes have whenever I'm listening to a series of spiritual teachings. I think about, does this particular path admit and acknowledge that there's the need for transformation? Is it simply an affirmation? Is it simply saying, honey, as you are, you are perfect, you are good, you are divine? Or does it say, my love, there is goodness in you, there is light and beauty and the divine in you, and there is also a crustiness, there is a self-centeredness that has surrounded that light, and we want to wash that away and let your light shine. So I think there's always the need for some kind of transformation. Is there a discussion of ritual? I think that's also important. Ritual is something that many of us have an uncomfortable relationship with. We think of ritual as something that is mechanical, mindless, Perhaps it has been drilled into us that ritual is separate than the beautiful and noble ideals. And at the same time, if you think about it as not spiritual growth, but something perhaps a little more concrete, like getting in shape. Well, many of us have gone on a fad diet here a fat diet there. maybe we've tried extreme forms of exercise in short amount of time. And at the end of the day, we've come to the realization that actually, when it comes down to it, there's really two things that have to happen if we want to get fit. We've got to put, put better things into our body. We have to eat better, drink better. and we have to exercise more and more regularly we have to have a ritual of what we eat and how we transform that energy, how much we exercise. So ritual in the context of getting fit is a necessary part. And I'm encouraging us to think about the ritual of love in the same way what does it mean to approach love as a practice? What does it mean that we think about love, that we live love, we do love, as something that is connected to our breath-by-breath awareness? And the third element, so a transformation of the self, the importance of ritual and practice, and the third part, community. We all yearn for community. We do not wish to be lonely, even if we have to become more comfortable with being alone at times. There is a difference between solitude and loneliness. So many of us are so profoundly uncomfortable with our own selves that we try every form of distraction to avoid confronting the reality of who and what we are. We try to avoid looking into the mirror of our own heart. So we tantalize ourselves with shopping with physical sensation, even with a relationship. And at the end of the day, we have to come to term with who and what we are. We started out by saying that so much of the conversation about love is found in the self-help section. But I'm here suggesting that a genuine spiritual path is not simply about self-help, but it is about community transformation. The transformation of the self is always connected to the well-being of a whole community. So real love, radical love, this unleashing of God through humanity and the cosmos, also has to fundamentally and drastically change the way that we relate to our fellow human beings. So we want to come back to this idea of the practice of love, the circles of love. And in order to have a sense of what these circles of love look like, what they feel like, and how we experience them, I'm going to encourage you to visualize this as a series of concentric circles. Four or five circles inside one another and we begin where we are. We begin where we are. One of the fundamental practices of the path of love is to have your heart be where your feet are. Have your heart be where your feet are. We can only start a journey with the first step and we can only start the first step where we are. So the first step of the path is to take a deep breath. Watch this breath enter our heart to become aware of the breath, to become aware of our chest, to become aware of our body, to become aware of where your feet are situated, to look around. As the great musical says, look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now, to look around and to see where you are, where you are physically, and to see where you are in terms of the stages of your life, to become aware of your health or lack thereof. Is there a roof over your head? Or are you out in nature? How are you in relationships? How are you with your parents if they're still on earth? How are you with a partner if there is one? Do you have children? And how do you stand with them? And at this point, we're not trying to change or to alter these relationships, but we are simply observing them. We are becoming aware of them. These circles of love begin with our own self. We begin with our self because it is awfully impossible to love another human being if we are filled with loathing for ourselves. And this is a very important point. So many of us are filled with a kind of dread, even hatred for ourselves. Sometimes, for many of us, particularly those who come from certain racial minorities, we are taught. To literally hate the color of our own skin. For some of us, who, myself included, might be a little bit on the chubbier side of things, we are taught to hate the shape of our bodies. We look with disdain at the shape of our stomach, our breasts, our thighs perhaps the puffiness of our cheeks. Can we learn to look with love at our own self? Sometimes I wonder, what if we were to treat ourselves with the same kindness, with the same respect, with the same tenderness, that we seem to be able to treat everyone else around us. If we see someone, a dear friend, a loved one, a parent, a partner, maybe he's a little chubby, right? Do we mock their chubbiness or do we love them as they are? And why is it so hard for us to extend that same love to our own self? This notion of accepting ourselves, embracing ourselves, loving one's own being, and loving the wholeness of what makes us human is such a challenge. And it is a challenge for so many of us. It's a challenge for racial and ethnic minorities. It's oftentimes in this society a challenge for women. It's a challenge for those of us who have a different gender um, construction and preference, Um, those of us who sexually might identify as queer. And yet, it is awfully hard to love another person unless we begin by loving ourselves. You know, there's a wonderful insight that um, people have raised about the saying of Jesus that comes up in the Gospel according to St. Mark, um, that you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes on to say, there is no commandment greater than this. Well, it's really difficult to love your neighbor as yourself if you've never loved yourself, if you've had loathing for your own self. The difference between this kind of accepting, embracing, and yes, indeed, loving the totality of yourself, loving your body, loving your emotions, loving your intellect, loving your soul, loving your spirit, And the kind of shallow self-help is that in this practice of love, we do not stop with the self. The practice of love in this path of radical love consists of filling each one of these four or five circles, letting them become filled to the top with love, and then letting it overflow. In the East, in Iran, and in India, and in some other societies, one of the beautiful ways that they would design pools, pools of water, was these were not pools that were designed for swimming, but they were an architectural representative of paradise these were a series of cascading pools where the first pool which is on the highest level would become filled with a fountain or with plumbing and when it would fill to its rim it would spill over to the second pool which was a little bit lower than that and then that pool would fall And as it it would fill to the top, it would spill over to the third pool, which was yet a little bit lower, and so on and so on. They would often be seven pools to reflect the seven layers of heaven. And this fountain or this plumbing would be constantly spilling over and over and over and over, filling to the top and filling what is below it. This is how I'm encouraging you to think about these circles of love as a practice. The goal is to never become stuck. And indeed, it would be a tragedy of love to remain stuck at each circle. Because look, if we only love our own self... If your three favorite people in the world are me, myself, and I, well then congratulations, you are a narcissist. You are trapped in the ego. But here's where love comes in as a practice. The ego always says mine. The ego wants to be at the center of attention. The ego wants everything for itself. This is where gluttony comes in. It might have had a great meal, but it wants more to the point that it causes physical pain in the stomach. The ego might have someone at home with whom you share love and affection and tenderness but its eye keeps roving and looking for some physical beauty in this person that it wants to possess or in that person. The ego is like a thirsty person drinking salt water. The ego cannot have enough, will never have enough, to the point of complete destruction. I sometimes joke with people that the ego is a little bit like that character Gollum in Lord of the Rings. It is obsessed with the precious. It wants the ring. It must have the ring. And it goes around like a maniac obsessed with my precious. It must have the precious To the point that eventually it leads to Gollum diving headfirst into the pit of fire. But even there it is not willing to let go of the ring. That's what the ego is like. It is going to lead to our damnation. By which I don't simply mean hellfire. I'm talking about it is going to lead to our Utter and absolute cosmic unhappiness. There is no way that the ego by itself can lead you to happiness. And here's where love as a practice comes in love burns the ego. Love is a fire, right? As the great Sufi mystics used to say, Love is a flame that burns everything except for Allah. It burns everything except for the One, except for God. Whereas the ego says, Mine. Love says, You whereas the ego says, what's in it for me? Love asks the question, my love, how can I love you better? How can I make you feel safe? My love, how can I make you feel warm and cared for? Love, when it's real, propels us Beyond the ego, and it points you towards someone else. Something else. Love reverses the direction from the ego towards another. That very shift in perspective saves. The minute that we stop obsessing with me, myself and I and we allow to become a vessel through which love flows, we are on our way towards bliss and real joy. It is such a delicious irony. In order for us to be happy, we have to be willing to bring joy to someone else. That is because we are not an island. We are not alone. We are caught up in this inescapable network of mutuality. We are bound up with one another. There is no way for one of us to be doing well if others of us are hurting. So the first level of rising beyond the ego, rising beyond the self, is by engaging in this practice of love in a relationship that directs our love towards another. And at that level, it does not matter so much if That love is directed towards a parent, a child, a friend, a lover, a stranger, a puppy, a forest. As long as there is love and service involved. Of every person, there's only two questions worth asking. How deep is your love? And whom do you serve? Whom do you serve? It's not enough to love. We've got to serve one another. We've got to be in service with one another. We've got to be in relationship with one another. There's a wonderful story that we get. The story is in uh, the, the wonderful collection that I put together called Radical Love. There are these two brothers um, that lived with their mother. The story is told from the great saint, uh, Sufi Muslim saint, Abul Hassan al uh, Of these two brothers, one of them would spend the whole night taking care of his elderly mother. She was sick and she was old and she required a lot of assistance. And the other one would spend the whole night in prayer, dedicating himself only to God. Then one night, the brother who would spend every night in prayer has a dream. And in this dream, he hears the voice of God coming to him from beyond saying, we have forgiven your brother and because of him, for his sake, we've also forgiven you. And this brother is, is very confused. He says, um, well, first of all, God, thank you so much for forgiving me, but clearly you have me and my brother confused because in case you didn't notice, I'm the brother that spends every night in prayer. I'm the one serves you. And he he never prays. He just takes care of our mom. So what do you mean you're forgiving me for his sake? And he hears the voice of God coming back to him. And this is what he says. That which you do for me, I have no need for. But your mother needs Your mother needs the service your brother provides. That's real love. Real love propels you beyond yourself towards love and service for another. So many of us go around moaning and complaining and lamenting that we are living a loveless life. So many people talk as if there's only one person intended for them to love and that person is in Mongolia. That person is already married. That person is off the market. There's seven billion human beings on earth and many of us talk as if there's only one person meant for us to love. But no... These mystics of the radical love path, these luminous souls who teach us about the practice of love tell us that we can love everyone. We can be in relationship with anyone. We are not living a loveless life. We are living a loveful existence. If you are alive, it's because somebody loved you If you're listening to this, someone cared for you, someone took care of you, someone served you when you were a baby and you were weak, someone got up in the middle of the night and put your needs ahead of their own. Someone, probably your mama, might have been your baba might have been a grandma. Someone decided to not be compassionate by proxy, but to provide direct love to you. They fed you, they changed your diaper, they snuggled with you, they comforted you. You were alive because of that love. And this love has kept you alive. You're here because of love. You have been loved. You are loved. You breathe because of that love. And you can pass it forward. You can share it. And the minute that you engage in this practice of love, saying, I will not be a narcissist. I will not serve the ego, I will let love flow through me, at least to one other, at least. one other the minute that love reorients you you let the circle of the love of self become filled to the rim and spill over you spill over in relationship to another and that's good, that's beautiful that's the beginning of enlightenment to direct oneself in love towards another But we cannot stop there. Any time that the overflow of love stops, there is a tragedy. If love stops with ourself, that's the tragedy of narcissism. If we love another. Well, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's the beginning of the practice of love. But what a tragedy it would be if you only love your partner but have no love to give your children. If you only love your mother and have no love left to give to your father. If you only love your daughters And have no love left to give your sons. No, we have to let love spill over until the family is loved. We have to begin by loving those around us. One of the mistakes that we sometimes make is we're in such a rush to speak of love as a global force that we forget to love those closest to us. The people who are around you, who live with you, they are also thirsty. They need this love, and you need this love, and we need this love. This is what the great Rumi says, every one of us is standing knee-deep in the water and dying of thirst. We gotta nurse one another. We gotta love one another. So we have to move beyond the circle of the self to get to a relationship. We move beyond the relationship and we love a family. And that's wonderful. That's beautiful. But if we stop there, if we become trapped at the level of I only love my family. The rest of the world can go to hell in a handbasket. Well, that's nepotism. No. We have to allow this love to spill over. We love our family until it's saturated and we let it spill over. We let it extend. We let it pour out towards another. And that's beautiful. Love has an impetus that it continues to spill out. It continues to move forward, to pull us outward. And then we get to our community, our neighborhood. Not just our family, but the family next to us, the family across the street and down the street we got to care about our neighborhoods. we got to live in community. What a wonderful thing it is for so many of us to be able to speak so eloquently about national and international politics. But do we know what's going on in our own community? You might know the name of the people running for national office, Do you know the name of your city council? Do you know who lives three houses down from you? And for so many of us, that answer is no. So we got to become involved in loving our neighborhood. This love that begins in the self spills over to a relationship and spills over to a neighborhood. But we cannot stop there. If we stop at the neighborhood and we say, that's good enough, I got a beautiful, loving neighborhood. And no further will my love go. Well, then you become provincial. We don't want to be provincial. You want to love your community and let it spill over. And for some people, that means that we go and we push and we say, all right, I'm not going to stop at myself, I'm not going to stop at a relationship, I'm not going to stop at a family, at a neighborhood. I'm going to love the whole nation. Anybody who lives inside my nation, I'm going to love, I'm going to serve. And to that we say, beautiful, magnificent, wonderful, how lovely that you have allowed yourself to love and to care for everybody inside your nation. How amazing that you're going to make sure that no child goes to bed hungry, that no one is left without education and shelter and just as importantly, dignity. And what a tragedy it would be if our love stops at the imagined border of a nation-state. Remember that for many of us, we didn't cross the border. The border crossed us. No, love, the practice of love, insists that it spills over. These lines that divide one nation from another the end of the day, these are imaginary lines, fictitious lines. They have real-world consequences, but only because we have determined that they should. It's the same human beings with the same love, same wishes, same desires for their loved ones that live on this side and that side of these imagined borders. So the practice of love means that we've got to spill over We're not going to stop our love, our care, our concern, our service inside the imagined boundaries of a nation state. And if we do, well, then we become a nationalist. That's not good enough. We have to insist that love flow through us, that it carries us. Sometimes you hear people say, all right, I will allow myself to care for anybody that looks like me, no matter where in the world they live. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. You're allowing yourself to now look around the world and see other people. They might live in Europe. They might live in the Middle East. might live in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America. And you can say, oh, when I look into the faces of their children, they look like my children, and I will love them and care about them. I'm not going to let the boundaries of a nation-state determine my concern, and that's beautiful, and that's lovely. And if we stop there, (laughs) we become a racist. If we say that I will only love fellow human beings who look like me, And none other. Yeah, that's called being a racist. No, we have to let love overflow. Let love spill over. And some people will say, well, okay, um, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jew, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Hindu. And I will love anybody who's part of my religious community. That if I'm a Muslim or a Jew, when I pick up the newspaper, the first thing I look is to see what's happening to Muslims and to Jews in other parts of the world. And that's where I stop. If our love ends with our religious community and none other, well then we become a religious bigot. You see how this practice of love has this pull, has this impetus that constantly is pulling us beyond the ego, beyond the self. It saturates the self. You gotta love yourself. You gotta love another. You gotta love your family. You gotta love a neighborhood. You've got to love the nation. got to love your people. You got to love your religious community. But since all of us are made by the one, all of us are made in the image of the one, ultimately love propels you to love all. If we cannot love Every single human being, it means we don't love God. We cannot love God unless we love all of God's children, all of God's creation. It's almost like we can't love every part of God if we close our heart to a single block of humanity. This is an important realization that love spills over and spills over until no one and no thing is left outside. These are some of the great teachings of our sages Uh, The Prophet Muhammad says at one point, the one who doesn't show tender love and mercy towards humanity is closed off to the tender love and mercy of God. Uh, He says another point, the ones who show tender love and mercy are shown tender love and mercy by the all-merciful So show mercy towards all on earth and you will be shown tender love and mercy by God in heaven. These are important realizations. And to that, we would add one more and one last realization. Love, the practice of love, pulls you towards every single human being. But today we know that we cannot stop there. We're living today in a crucial age, in a critical age. We're living in an age in which human beings are on the verge of destroying the one home that we have ever had. The one little tiny third rock from the sun that we've ever had that we can truly call home. So to be a sentient being, to be an aware human being, means of course that we rise above the ego, we rise above the self, we engage in this practice of love, but that we do not put the human being at the center of cosmic existence. What has to be at the center is harmony. We have to live in a way that is sustainable. We have to live in a way which is not just about me and mine, and is not just about one nation, especially if that nation is the United States. And it can't even be about human beings as one species consuming at the rate that we are. No, we have to change our ways. We have to live simpler lives, sustainable lives, in a way that allows us to live in harmony with our home. So the same love, the same love that has propelled us beyond the self, beyond the family, beyond the community, beyond the nation, beyond the religious community, to the human community, has to keep pulling us towards every sentient being. we got to love our home, our planet, and live a life of love that's sustainable. And the goal is not simply to transcend i'm I'm a little suspicious of this language of transcendence, because you never leave your home, you never leave your family, you never leave your community you gotta it's gotta saturate it, it's gotta fulfill what it means to love yourself, to love your partner, to love your family, to love your community to love your nation, to love your community, religious community, to love humanity, and to love your home. When we do that, and if we do that, then love becomes a practice. Love becomes a practice. And these circles of love, as love spills over, as you let the love of God fill you up to the rim, and spill over, and fill the next circle up, and spill over, then we are propelled back into the embrace of the divine. We come from this ocean of love, we are in this river of love now, and we're heading back to the same ocean. I hope that these teachings, I hope that these practices can be with you, they can serve you, they can keep you company. I hope this gives us a way of experiencing love, not as an emotion, not as a feeling, but as a practice something that we can live, something that we can immerse ourselves in, so that as you come back to realizing where your feet are, where you're breathing, where you're sitting, and you look around, and you see yourself, and you see the people around you, we know where love has to be, and where love has to spill over. What a beautiful way to live, and what a beautiful practice of love this would be. May you be blessed, may you be joyful, may your life and your being be saturated and permeated by this practice of radical love. Until next time.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.